Welcome to Asia Pacific Today. I'm Mike Ryan. Anyone who's visited California has also been to Santa Monica and the slightly wacky world of Venice. Venice is a favourite for the locals and visitors alike. But that might change if Councillor Bonham gets his way and transforms Venice into the designated homeless hub. Blake Christian joins us shortly to discuss that and a low-cost solution. Also, with Thanksgiving upon us, most Californian restaurants are finding it hard to be thankful for much at all. John Sangmeister from Gladstone's Long Beach shortly. Taiwan President Tai Ing-wen has vowed to defend the island's sovereignty with the construction of a new fleet of domestically developed submarines, a key project supported by the United States to counter neighbouring China. Taiwan marked the start of construction of a new fleet of domestically developed submarines in the southern city of Kaohsiung on Tuesday. At the ceremony, President Tsai Ing-wen vowed to defend the democratic island's sovereignty and called the move a, quote, historic milestone for Taiwan's defensive capabilities. Today's construction of a national submarine, they demonstrate the power and independence of national defence, which is strengthening day by day. The event was attended by the de facto US ambassador to Taiwan, Brent Christensen, as this is a key project supported by the United States. The U.S. government in 2018 gave the green light for U.S. manufacturers to participate in the program, a move widely seen as helping Taiwan secure major components, though it is unclear which U.S. companies are involved. State-backed CSBC Corporation Taiwan said it would deliver the first of eight planned submarines in 2025, giving a major boost to Tsai's military modernization and self-sufficiency plan. Taiwan's armed forces are mostly equipped by the United States, but Tsai has made development of an advanced homegrown defense industry a priority. China, which claims Taiwan as its own territory, has ramped up its military activities nearby. The Chinese forces have, on occasion, flown fighter jets across the unofficial buffer median line of the sensitive Taiwan Strait. Something strange is happening in a lovely part of Los Angeles that attracts many international visitors. A place of great beaches, sunsets, canals, sensitive environmental conditions, fabulous restaurants and bars, lovely homes and a mixed but mainly well-off community. In February 2014, the Los Angeles Times reported that there were 174 homeless people in Venice. Today, almost 1,200 people, overwhelmingly working-age males from other places, live on Venice's streets and beaches. This is largely because Councilman Bonin has launched a campaign to transform Venice into the designated homeless hub for the western half of Los Angeles by installing a massive infrastructure the locals call the Monster for the ongoing delivery of homeless housing and services unmatched anywhere in the city, including hundreds of units of free housing for life on some of the most desirable lots in the world at a cost of $1,250 or more per square foot. Hundreds of new shelter beds, even as the utilisation rate 
of existing shelters in Los Angeles hovers below 60%. Showers, toilets and water stations for mega encampments on Oceanfront Walk and at Third and Rose. The street dwelling population in Venice has skyrocketed, while the street dwelling population in the rest of Council District 11 has dropped by double digits, including a 77% drop in Brentwood, a 59% drop in Pacific Palisades, and a 42% drop in Westchester Playa del Rey during the same period of time. Venice now accounts for just 5% of the land, but 49% of the street dwelling population in Council District 11. Well, it's that time of the week once again from Holthouse, Carlin and Van Trite. First of all, Blake, welcome. Great to see you, Mike. In Opportunity Zones, Blake, tax incentives are used to transform disadvantaged areas. Are you aware of Opportunity Zone projects in rich communities or for accommodating the homeless? You know, there there actually are, the, the way that the Opportunity Zone program uh, boundaries were, were uh, crafted is they did allow the governors of each state to pick from uh, a, a pretty large uh, group of, of census tracts for what would become the uh, Opportunity Zone program in their state. And they allowed uh, some limited uh, choosing of, of census tracts that were adjacent to poorer neighborhoods. So, so you did end up, and it became quite controversial, it's still controversial right now, that you have some very nice areas. Portland is a good example. Um, some, some areas of Los Angeles that um, don't appear to be in distress, but they just happen to be adjacent to, um, to these depressed areas. And so to get some synergies, they allowed those, uh, those upper income census tracts to be included. But uh, I don't think we'll see that in the next round. There are strong community concerns in Venice Beach that the homeless are being actively encouraged into the area and that by creating lower average income in census tracts, developers would qualify for low-income tax credits to develop the area in ways they have not been permitted to do so in the past. Does this sound like a valid argument to yourself? You know, I I, I could see that, but I, I just, in my practice, I, I just can't imagine, um, you know, somebody somebody wanting to, to bring all those those uh, people into the area simply to to qualify i mean in fact i mean the the boundaries have already been decided there there's some talk that the, they might get expanded but that that that's a pretty extreme situation it is california though and anything happens in california now more so than ever i would imagine too that uh it looks like um, Joe Biden will end up being the president and uh, Kamala Harris being from uh, California uh, will also have a major say, not only in California, but also throughout the U.S. So what isn't the normal may end up being the norm. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, one, one other thing that, that, that happened because, because, again, they were they picked these low uh, income census tracts, and so a lot of the university areas, um, which which aren't always depressed areas, ended up counting because you had all of those students who, you know, 
make uh, nothing or or uh, close to nothing while they're going to school. So you know, you have uh, uh, Chapel Hill in in North Carolina, and you know, Duke. I think there, there's there's a bunch of a pretty nice uh, university. Uh, census tracts that uh, that were included. So, so some unintended consequences. Elected council representatives have said they hope to use federal stimulus funds to buy distressed properties, such as abandoned hotels and houses resulting from the pandemic, to house the growing number of homeless in Venice. Are you aware of federal or stimulus funds being used for such purposes in California? Uh, I, I have not seen that but there there are so many so many programs that uh that could be accessed i i I, you know wouldn't wouldn't be surprised i have seen these um in other areas of the country where people are repurposing um hotels and and in some cases they're talking about office space uh for for low-income housing but uh you know they're they're typically not you know, using government funds, maybe government programs, but not uh, not just stimulus payments uh, in this next round. Many people want to see the homeless accommodated in sustainable and affordable ways. However, the scale of plans for Venice would fracture a community that has taken pride in their area. Venice Beach has also been a huge magnet for visitors, both national and international, which will no longer be the case if local government makes it a permanent haven for the homeless. What do you think about that? Well, yeah, you know, the, the, the problem, you know, and I'm sensitive to the homeless situation, but the you're right. When, when you put a bunch of infrastructure and services, it's like a magnet for the um, for the homeless. And, and it, I think some of the decrease in some of those surrounding cities that you talked about are because they're, you know, they're being drawn to this area that is... Uh, you know, is saying, come, come see us because we have all these services and we're going to build homes for you, etc. Um, where I live, Park City, we, we have no, um, you know, no, not one bed or shelter. And so all the homeless go to Salt Lake City. So, you know, by policy, you can you can move people. And uh, it sounds like Venice is uh, attracting them. Uh, ironically, I was on a call with a client uh, today, a, a high tech guy, and he, he just he's selling his Venice house and uh, moving to uh, to rural Malibu. And, um, you know, this this is part of the reason. How do you think the problem can be better dealt with uh, in Venice and other parts of L.A. and California when it comes to the homeless problem? Well, you know, and this this may sound a little bit uh, crass, but I I I, I've always been an advocate of of using uh, commercial, you know, more commercial properties because the the, the problem is it, you know, when you when you just integrate the homeless into the residential areas, it does, you know, create uh, more crime. Uh, most of these people are homeless, the vast majority, because of mental illness. And so now you're going to be having them in the neighborhood with kids and things. And so I, I like the idea of having them, you know, a, a little bit, uh, you know, away from, you know, some of the residential areas. And, and the other thing you can set up, you know, health care and things easier 
when you're in a little more commercial or industrial area. So that's that, that's what I I would generally like to see, and uh, and maybe you have some limited integration for uh, those that are you know don't have you know have received treatment and and don't have all the mental problems that uh, that we so often see. Uh, I heard from one of the uh, residents uh, in Venice, uh, living on the canal, which is a, a beautiful part of the world. One of the great well was one of the great secrets of uh, of California. Uh, was saying that the older homeless were moved out by the new homeless who weren't as nice, uh, didn't really care about the area a whole lot, and uh, they were also armed. So it sort of changes the whole area. I mean, you've got, these, um, you know, got, got a, a lot of uh, unhappy people with guns as your neighbours on your front lawn. Uh, it can be quite, um, quite, in, uh, quite distressing, can't it? Right. Right. And uh, yeah, some of them, you know, you know, none of us are, are that offended by somebody asking for money. Mm. But when they uh, when they get in your face or, th- you know, a little more threatening mm. uh, and, and you do see that um, in a lot of these uh, communities. Tell us about because uh, you, you really know about um, portable housing. You're very uh, involved in it. And you have some uh, great ideas, especially especially with uh, container homes. Tell us about these and, and more about that part of, because you've got so many fingers in pies, you've got more fingers in pies than there are in a bakery. So it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but this one is really, it's a, a great story. And uh, it really does uh, address, in many ways, the, the problem of being homeless. Right. So um, I, I, this you know, um, idea kind of gnawed at me for for a while. Uh, when my my office in in Long Beach overlooked the ports of uh, Long Beach in L.A., so you um, know it, it was you know nice o- ocean view, but yeah, it was very industrial, and, and you saw literally um, you know hundreds of thousands of uh, containers, shipping containers. Um, I would look at them all day, and so um, having traveled to to Japan a few times. And they, you know, have this kind of micro hotel concept and, you know, just sleep chambers for the, the business people to, to do an overnight when they've uh, stayed out too late. And so I, I, I thought of the idea of like an ap- apartment uh, where it would be kind of a minimalistic um, sleeping space, but you would have very, um, you know, high end, elaborate uh, common space for everybody in there. And uh, so I I just kind of, you know, kicked it around with some architects and things, but didn't really go anywhere. And then when I moved to Park City, uh, every time I opened the paper, it was talking about workforce housing, workforce housing. We bring uh, about 3,500 people a year in to work the, uh, you know, the three major ski resorts in town. And they have no place to stay. Uh, They don't have cars. They don't, you know, they they're just there to to work and ski. And, uh, and they, they usually end up staying in people's basements, which sounds terrible, but uh, a Park City basement is, is actually pretty nice. But it's still, it's still clunky. And so uh, I envisioned, you know, building a community of, um, of containerized housing and, uh, and then, you know, have it on 10 acres, say, and, you know, just have them, uh, you know, commute via bus, uh, and you, you'd have everybody in, in one spot. 
So um, I, I got tired of talking about it. Everybody was like, they'd nod their head and say, oh, yeah, that sounds interesting. But it's kind of cruel. You know, I can't imagine, you know, having some poor person, you know, living in a container. So I got so tired of it. I, I finally I finally built one on spec to show them spatially that it's it's actually pretty comfortable. And so we built one that sleeps for uh, it's all solar. It's, um, you know, very well insulated, um, uh, you know, own water source and everything. And uh, we had about when we displayed it, we had about 500 people come through in the course of, uh, of two weeks. And, um, you know, the, the mayor spent an hour and a half in the in the unit and, uh, you know, pe- people people loved it. So uh, anyway, we're we're still working on that and working on a manufacturing plant down in uh, Salt Lake City right now. They're pretty amazing things. I mean, there's uh, lots of YouTubers out there and, and small television programs, too, about uh, tiny house living. And because um, you think a container, but what you can do with a container and yeah, you know, they're normally talking about a, a 20 foot container or maybe a 40 foot, but yours are 45 foot containers. In fact, I saw one that was uh, a double story one and it looks stunning inside. So it's a great alternative to those that need a house, but it can be also the first choice over a house because they are portable. You find this beautiful block of land and you just plonk it down there and you've got yourself uh, you've got yourself a million dollar view with a with a wonderful uh, place to live in and doesn't cost you a million dollars. Exactly. And and that, the portability, you know, the as we were talking before, you know, this uh, container building versus what we refer to as stick build, you know, a traditional house, it's it's actually more expensive on a square foot basis, but um the the portability and you know, if you look at it you know, we, we are going to be a more mobile workforce in the future, you know, where, where people are going to be because of specialties, because of need. Um, you're going to be moving from one place to another. And so some millennial who isn't, uh, you know, looking for a, you know, three to five thousand square foot house, they're, they're, they kind of lean a little bit more minimalist. They could have one of these and then, you know, they could be working in California one year and then get a job offer in New York and, you know, plop this on a, on a truck, take it, take it across country or swap it with somebody that has a container, uh, on the East coast. And there you go. Or Mm. they end up on on an assignment in Australia and they throw this on a ship. Mm. You know, the fact that it's a standardized container, it's, you know, it's so mobile. You know, you can't move a house. You can move a container. Uh, if somebody wants to find out more about uh, container homes, how would they do that? Well, our, our website is uh, Basecamp Utah. And then we also have one called grannyflats.com. And uh, our new company will be Modular Innovation Technologies. MIT. Fantastic talking once again. If somebody wants to find out other things other than um, than uh, container homes and granny flats and modular houses, how would they do that? Uh, so our firm uh, uh, website is www.hcbt.com or you can just Google Blake Christian CPA and uh, all of my different uh, activities will come up. Blake Christian, thank you very much. Thank you. 
Gladstone's is the long established restaurant in Long Beach offering spectacular food and beautiful views from the outdoor patio overlooking the Long Beach Harbour. Always busy and a favourite of the locals and visitors alike too. This was until COVID-19 reared its head and until COVID politics reared its ugly head. California and Long Beach have some of the toughest restrictions in the entire US. Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom and Democratic Senate hopeful and Long Beach Mayor Robert Garcia seem to have little concern for business. We are just going to save you all from that terrible virus, that evil Donald Trump. It's his fault. Joe Biden and Kamala, they will save us. By the way, as Governor Newsom says, wear masks, small gatherings and don't do what I do. Just as I say. John Sangmeister is the owner of Gladstone's Long Beach. John, thanks for joining us. Greetings. It's a welcome from Long Beach, California. A lovely part of the world too. And your restaurant have been there and I can vouch that it's a beautiful restaurant. Tell us about Gladstone's and uh, how has business been going over the last, uh, say, six months? Well, we opened Gladstone's uh, 16 years ago and we built this restaurant from the ground up. It was a unique opportunity that, uh, you know, my partners and I looked at around and decided that God wasn't making any more coastline in the near future. And we were fortunate to be part of a redevelopment of the downtown Long Beach waterfront. And we're at the keystone of that redevelopment. And um, we've been thrilled to be here 16 years. We've been uh, what I believe is a growing and vital part of the community. We employ about 150 people annually. Um, most of my crew is senior tenured for the restaurant industry. I'd say the average tenure in the back of the house is 10 years. Front of the house is probably getting close to seven years. And uh, things were going along swimmingly until uh, January when the world was struck with COVID. And and now it's uh, choppy waters, to say the least. The the governments often uh, attribute uh, the terrible times with business to COVID, but it really is down to the uh, the government themselves because they're the ones that bring in these restrictions. Just how bad has the local hospitality industry been affected this year by COVID nineteen restrictions in Long Beach? So my understanding, and this is you know I I, I could be wrong, plus or minus twenty percent. But I think for um, hotels, their occupancy rates are in the in the mid teens, where they're averaging prior last year was probably in the mid 80s. So you can imagine that level of negative impact. At Gladstones, we were closed for 200 days. Um, we reopened a month ago. We've been facing uh, a myriad of challenges. We had first the COVID closures, and then as we were coming out of that. We had societal disturbances, and uh, we had riots in downtown Long Beach. 175 businesses were attacked and raised in three hours, and ours was one of them that sustained significant uh, damage. We had to rebuild, reopen, and then as we got the restaurant reopened a week later after we repaired the damages from the riots, uh, 10 days later, the governor announced that we were gonna, he was going to close on-premise dining again uh, because of a spike in COVID. So we closed again for another 100 days. The on-site dining, are you allowed to uh, still eat outdoors? So we've only, in Los Angeles County, we've only been allowed to eat outdoors. 
and that's been a modified number that we've had to uh, uh, go to 50% uh, capacity or in some cases we were allowed to expand our, our dining room beyond the our, our natural borders. So we've you've been to our restaurant. We're now out onto the pier and on the upper esplanade that surrounds the restaurant. It it was a practical and pragmatic uh, solution. We we embraced it. We we spent a lot of money with outdoor lighting, some heating, some infrastructure. Uh, we fortunate to have a very mild summer, not too hot, not too cold, and the guests embraced it for the four weeks that we've been open. Um, and today we got some devastating news. What is that? So today the uh, border supervisors, Los Angeles County is ruled by five little kings uh, who control five districts and the futures of the 10 million citizens of of Los Angeles County. They voted three to two tonight to uh, suspend all on-premise dining. So if you think about what's going to happen now for us, you know, in 36 hours, in 30 hours, our nation is going to celebrate our National Day of Thanksgiving, which is a significant and wonderful and perhaps our most cherished holiday because it's one regardless of race, religion, or creed. This is one we as Americans can really embrace because regardless of the challenges that we're facing, there's always something that we can find to express some gratitude about. But... Tomorrow night, I'm going to lay off 90 of my employees. And citywide in, the, in, uh, in, in Long Beach, there are 35,000 restaurant workers. And I suspect 40% of them will be laid off. So 12,000 people will be out of work on the day of Thanksgiving. And this, this stay is ordered through December 21st. And I really doubt that there will be few operators if we're allowed to reopen on the 21st, that will open until after the, the New Year's passes. So at, at a difficult time in, in economically, and this is the holiday season, people are trying to save, save money, buy gifts for their families. This is normally a, a very busy season for us uh, professionally. It's a chance to build up a, an economic cushion for our servers and our staff. We do a lot of parties. Guests are generous. All of that's been dashed to the curb. And if Long Beach is going to lose 12,000 employees, we're 5% of the county of Los Angeles, and our distribution of restaurant employees is probably commensurate with the rest of the county. So we're looking at 250,000 people unemployed on Thanksgiving Day. That's not proper. That's not well thought out. John, how do they get by then? I mean, they rely on an income from, from uh, say, Gladstones, for example, and then they have the tips on the service they give and the, uh, the, the beautiful food, so it's an appreciation, basically. If there's none of that, how do they survive? Is there, are there any, any methods in place from, say, local council? How's the mayor on this? So we don't have, we don't have a federal stimulus package anymore. That's been exhausted currently. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone will apply to the California Department of uh, 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 the EDD, which is our unemployment department, 
And, you know, they'll be granted immediately. Um, they'll get a stipend of $450 U.S. weekly. Mm-hmm. That's not what they're making here at Gladstone's Long Beach. That, that, that number's insignificant. So it's not enough. It's, it's, it's simply not enough. I think the politicians uh, did not think through their econ- the economic consequences well enough. I think the, the fear that they've embraced about the disease and the infection right now is not reasonable. Looking in, in Long Beach, I have to give some credit to our mayor, who I disagree with vehemently because he actively campaigned for this decision. But we've had 268 deaths in Long Beach since, since the beginning of the infection. 140 of them happened early in the, in the cycle of the infection, and they were in three senior living facilities. This was common. We took the, the uh, sick and infirm when we put them inside nursing homes thinking that, okay, they already know how to treat acutely uh, sick patients. Well, all it did was spread quickly to the most at risk and it wiped them all out. So, and that was tragic. But now we've got this remaining 128. So I don't want to discount the 140 that were lost early on, but really 128. Our city is 500,000. We've had 128 deaths in 11 months. It's a lot. Yes, it is. Is it manageable? Yes. You know, we've come off of our highs. In, in July, we had a, a, a high uh, ICU uh, bed rate of 106. That's where we topped out, which was significant, but we never exceeded more than 40% of our total capacity. Mm. Now we're at 50. So we're, we're more than halfway below our high water mark. And for some odd reason, we've made this decision to shut the world down because of a, a supposed spike. What about financial support then from Council for Business? Well, I believe that this is really actually a different game altogether than, uh, than fear of the, of the virus. As, you ha- as the world is aware, we've had a, a, an epic battle of... of uh, a national election in the United States, Trump versus Biden. And along with that are a series of corollary battles underneath that. And one that's been hotly contested is an extension of the PPP or our payroll protection plan, which was exhausted at the end of June. Um, The Democrats wanted to extend it, but they wanted to additionally add Instead of just take care of the immediate needs, they wanted to take care of bailout packages for the entire financial woes that were non-COVID related. So let's just say for California, uh, they wanted to suddenly erase a, a, a $9 billion that we've run up. Similarly, uh, Governor Cuomo wants the same. This is a form of pressure against President Trump. Uh, I don't know how it will play out. Uh, I think that there are many people that are deeply frustrated that the Democrats used to count on as Democratic supporters, and they see this as just 
not being helpful to their personal lives. And clearly it isn't. Because Joe Biden uh, wants to basically shut the whole country down, lock it down for a long, dark winter. What do you think that would do to America? It would be devastating. And the world needs a strong America. Mm. America is an imperfect place, but the ideals of America are something that the world aspires to. It's the, it's the, it's the best in all mankind. And I say the ideals of America, not necessarily how we, we execute. We are an imperfect nation filled with well-meaning people, and we've made mistakes. But on the whole, the world is better because of America. And I don't say that as a, as a zealot or a nationalist, but as someone who's had the opportunity to travel and live around the world and, and witness firsthand uh, the generous human spirit of Americans and their ability to be good friends to many in the world. How do you plan for the future? We take this a day at a time. Yeah, this is, you know, t- 10 years ago, as we were coming out of the Great Recession, and I was like, whew, we got through that one. You know, in that Great Recession, America lost 100,000 restaurant seats. It was the first time in, in a 50-year march of, of restaurant growth that the net number of restaurant seats declined. Well, that makes today look like a, a walk in the park. Um, the devastation in the hospitality industry is so deep, uh, and it affects not just the people that are working in the restaurant. Think about every job that's, that's, that's directly in the restaurant. I bet that there's three or four that are there to support our operations and services. And that's tough. We mm. have liquor vendors. We have grocers. We have drivers. We have gas vendors. We have... We have hotels that just it's we have uh, sales folks that come out and try to sell the services and, and hospitality of Long Beach, California. They're all gone. Gone. Mm. Good jobs. Nice people. Will they come back? It will take years. Will it? Will, will I was talking to a, a dear friend of mine who's a hotelier. Mm-hmm. And he runs probably 25 solid three-star, four-star hotels across the country. And he says, look, we'll just sort of limp through this and we'll be able to service our debt. Our employees are going to just struggle. Mm-hmm. But first, you're going to, they're not going to be able to, they, they've all gone to such deep discounting that just to, just to put heads on pillows, um, they're not going to be able to take rate for three years. You know, they're must. going to struggle to get get people to overcome the, mm. their fear mm. of going out, mm. and then we're going to have to figure out how we're going to raise rates and get get back in the game. It must really disappoint you, though, that you see Governor Newsom says, "Do as I do as I say, and not as I do," and uh, then that permeates all the way down. Uh, in fact, it's going to start from uh, from Washington now, or at the moment anyway. It seems that you'll have this half-baked approach to COVID that we're all going to, we're going to save you all from this terrible disease. And, but they're failing to understand that without business and um, you have nothing, you have nothing. I mean, to have local council and the mayor and, and all those around the mayor and the, the governor and the president, 
I mean, they really need to take a reality test, uh, a reality test pill, don't they? Just to, um, to, you know, to see the devastation that, you know, we may not get out of. None have signed the front side of the paycheck. Mm. And that's a problem. And I think without that perspective of how to manage a P&L, how to make a payroll, mm. um, it, it's, it's lost on them. I've always had the fantasy that when I become king or when I become mayor, and that's a fantasy, by the way, um, that I would always add a signature line on every check that comes out of the government. Mm. And that would be we would have a citizen signature randomizer so that uh, Jeff Peck would go on that signature along with, along with the city manager. So for today, we know that Jeff Peck's tax dollars are being acknowledged and his contribution to our society are being acknowledged. And today, we city employees are working with Jeff for Jeff Peck. Mm. <laughs> but that's not going to happen. <laughs> what about, but just, just uh, on, on the subject of politics, which is pretty hard to get away from, um, Kamala Harris, there's a vacant Senate seat. Um, see that Robert Garcia, Mayor Robert Garcia, maybe. Um, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I think I think that uh, forces beyond the mayor's control are have already bumped him out of the running. Wonderful talking. Um, when you when you get back to normal, and uh, I, I know how fabulous you, your food is and the service, it's just one of the great restaurants. In fact, almost the great restaurant because of the views, location, and et cetera. That's very kind of you. Well, I can vouch that. But if you, if somebody was to pop down to to Long Beach and uh, wherever this all this ugly crap that's happening, we got a vaccine that's that's uh, doing its job. That thanks to uh, Donald Trump, by the way, we have this wonderful vaccine getting back to normal. I can't wait to get the vaccine. Yes, sign right. me up. I was so disappointed in the in the vice presidential debate when they they even gave that they you know even implied some level of doubt of the efficacy or safety of that. Mm. Really? That's so inappropriate. It's like, no, 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 no. We want everyone to do this. We don't need we don't need a deep conspiracy on the vaccine. We mm. need to get moving forward. Mm. But when we get that vaccine, what would you yep. recommend to someone that was going to pop into your restaurant and spend a few hours doing a bit of damage to the liver, uh, enjoying some fabulous food? What would you suggest? So... That's very kind. And you first, you have to call ahead and, and let me know that you're coming so that I can charge you double. Um, Thanks. Because, candidly, we've had such a hole in our P&L this year that we need to make up some lost ground. No, I'm teasing. Um, but, look, we, we've been really lucky. Um, my business partner, Alan Redhead, Blake Christian, uh, Scott Hewitt, and I, we've all been together now for 17 years. We built this restaurant from the ground up. Um, and we were fortunate to work with a superb culinary talent in Pete Lamar. Mm. And Pete was with us for nearly 17 years. He's now accepted a position as the head of the culinary school for the Orange County School of Performing Arts, which is just a, a great capper to a, an enormous career. Um, and we've, we now refer to him as Chef Emeritus because mm. he's always welcome in our house. We were really lucky, you know, I don't want to say one door closed and the other one open, but in walked this young fellow, Chef Tioc. Now, Chef T, as we affectionately call him, is from, uh, he's Cambodian Chinese. He loves seafood. 
we made certain that he and Pete worked for a long time together to ensure that our core menu items were consistent and that Chef T, this is how you're going to do Chef Pete's menu, Mm. which is great. And he's got that down pat. And now we're getting some Chef T items on top of it. So, for instance, we did a sear, uh, a char-seared lobster claw bow bun that was so over-the-top great. It, well, it was superb. I'm stunned. So we're going to have a little more Asian fusion in there. I had a restaurant in Maui called the Lahaina Mai Tai Lounge, mm-hmm. and I'm proud to say that we won from the Reader's Choice Award the best Mai Tai in Maui for five years in a row. And we beat the Stevenson's, which was a, which was a, uh, that was a tough putt. Mm, mm. So you got to come in and have a Mai Tai. Mai Tais are very dangerous. They and don't then, look uh, dangerous. You know, Don Beach, who created the Mai Tai, although uh, Vic Bergeron from Trader Vic said that he did, mm. Don Beach, Don the Beachcomber, had a rule that you could only have two. And then he cut you off. Um, so it's the real deal. Wise. We don't skimp. We don't just put a floater on top and you say, oh, isn't that great? Um, we have a beautiful outdoor bar. We've uh, added some uh, new beautiful indoor-outdoor windows to, you know, sort of uh, take better advantage of our proximity to the water and the mm-hmm. beautiful views. Um, we love our Thai calamari. We love if you're going to have fins, you know, the swordfish came off the backside of Catalina uh, probably 20 hours ago. Wow. And it's, it's always a good bet. Um, we get some beautiful opa from Honolulu every other day. And if you like steaks and you, you want to go there, you know, we only serve prime. And it's, uh, it's delicious, wonderful. And I will tell you that the great secret of Gladstone's is our sushi. We have uh, we have a, a little fellow Oaxaca who's been with us since day one, and Oaxaca goes up to these sushi competitions in the heart of Little Tokyo, and I mean these are the, this is like going into Karate Kid country in that these senseis and these sushi masters they are beyond traditional, mm. and he goes up there and he always winds up on the podium in these competitions, and I'm like. Yes, yes. <laughs> but you would have caught a, you would have caught a few fish when you were sailing. Yeah, you know, as you as you're passing the Aussies for the America's Cup or something, you would have thrown out a a, a line and sinker and a hook and pulled in some beautiful fish yourself. Uh, you know, you know, I really do love fishing, and I, I love fishing with my father-in-law and our, and our sons, mm. and it's just really fun there. We like to go to Alaska. And uh, we've done some salmon fishing up there. We've gone shrimping, mm. and we do a lot of crabbing at their home in uh, in Washington. Mm. Sounds fantastic. I can't wait to be charged double. It's worth it. Uh, <laughs> uh, John Sangmeister, look, a pleasure talking with you. We'll do this again uh, when things get... Really a bit... great to see you. Thank you so much for including me in the show. Yeah, lovely. All the best. Now, before we go, we've got to know a web address so someone can check you out. Uh, www.gladstones, plural, longbeach.com, gladstoneslongbeach.com. And you can follow us on Facebook, uh, Gladstones Long Beach. And uh, we look forward to uh, welcoming you to our store. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll probably bypass the uh, Mai Tais and stick, on a, stick with a uh, 
maybe margarita or twitty. I mean, they're my favorite. We can do that. Yeah, they're very dangerous too. And we're good with the mojito too. We won the best mojito. Oh, really? Now, they're scary. They're scary, but that's another conversation. You know what WC Field said? All roads lead to rum. <laughs> John, thank you very much. Have a great evening. And that's it for Asia Pacific Today. I'm Mike Ryan.